The car business is rapidly changing and modern car dealers are meeting the demand. I'm Michael Cirillo, and together we're going to explore what it takes to create a thriving dealership and life in the retail automotive industry. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with subject matter experts that are designed to help you grow. This is The Dealer Playbook. Welcome to this episode of the Dealer Playbook Podcast. I am so delighted you're here, especially for this conversation with my pal, Michael Svoboda. He's the GM of, oh, let me get it right. He's the GM of Buchanan Automotive and Buchanan Auto Park, one of which the number one Chevy store in the state of PA. And I mean, I've been following him for a while. We've been connected for a long time. Both, you know, put our heads down and get to work is the way I like to say it. So, I don't want everyone thinking that we're just always text messaging one another and this and that. No, I follow from afar. I keep in touch. I'm keeping tabs. I'm watching. And I had to have you back on the show um, to talk about what I think is just so impressive. The fact that, you know, you're not a you, you don't do the whole brag bragging thing. But you'll drop a little a little bomb on Facebook and you'd be like 38 cars today. And then, or, or you'll, you'll post a picture of your showroom and it's like, didn't have enough cubicles. So we had to set up more tables, you know, and you can't stage that stuff. It's real. It's happening. So I messaged you and I'm like, yo, Mike, I got to have you on the show and talk about what the heck you are doing. So thank you for joining me. Welcome to the dealer playbook. So glad to have you here. Well, well, thank you. Uh, it's, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. Uh, this isn't normally my thing, but I'm glad to be here. A lot of those little nuggets you see dropped are actually more for my people to get them excited and to promote the dealership and the work environment um, than, it, than it actually is uh, for myself. But uh, definitely glad to be here. Well, what I love about it, man, is there's so there's basically two camps in automotive. We both know them. It's the, this is the worst month we've ever had to, in my career, or there's, we did 40 cars on Saturday and then another 38 cars on Sunday. And it's like, okay, well, we need to start talking less about this is the worst month I've ever had and start talking about how to fabricate that type of environment to move metal like that. I mean, we're not going to even dive into your your fixed operations. I'm sure it, it's crazy. That's gonna we're gonna have to have you talk about that on a different podcast. But specifically today, I want to just ask you because I do believe it's fabricated. I do believe you've put into motion a very specific structure. I do believe it's tactical. How do you get to a place where you are cons as consistent as you are? in pushing 30 plus units over a weekend or on a Saturday? Sure. So um, we, we developed a system and I say we, because it's something we, we definitely uh, saw what some other people have done. Uh, Tammy LeBou when she was alive and some other people and, and, and we've taken pieces. We've actually taken pieces from your show. Uh, uh, episode 30 with Jim Ziegler is, uh, is required for all our managers to, to, to watch. 
But we've taken that. Uh, Connor, my GSM at the Chevy store in particular, has really helped me uh, formulate a system. And then uh, once we formulated the system at the Chevy store and I was also managing his Dodge store, we just took that system and and replicated it at the other store. So the team is better than the sum of its parts. Uh, in fact, um, we probably don't have uh, – the greatest individuals, but as a team, it, it, it all comes together, but it comes together very systematically. So some of the things we've, we, we've done is we've really got away from the traditional roles and the traditional way of, of doing things in, in, in the car business. Uh, we have a multi-point touch system where we work in teams, um, but it really creates a one-touch kind of environment for the customer. So surveys say that, you know, we should probably be doing early TOs on, on, with every customer. But what, what we found is that's next to impossible because the sales managers pricing cars, uh, talking to another customer, then they're not available for the TO. So we decided to create a system around that. The other thing we found is a lot of uh, the 30, 40 car guys end up leaving because they get manageritis uh, and they're not made a manager at that store, maybe because they're passed up because uh, they're, quote, production's too high and they don't want to lose that. Or maybe they're not good from a clerical standpoint, uh, even though they're really good closers and people are scared of making that person a manager. So what we've done is we created a role around that. And we have what we call team leaders, which is a full-fledged sales manager in, uh, in my store. Uh, we have a general sales manager in the stores, and then we have desk managers and team leaders as sales managers. One is not a higher position than the other. I like to think about it, receivers and running backs, just a different skill set, but just as equally as important. Um, so one's not in charge of the of, of the other. Um, but what, what the team lead position does is they're a mobile manager. They do not sit behind a desk. They work from a laptop. They're, they're constantly mobile. Our BDC sets the appointments for the team leads. Uh, so when when appointment set, it's set for the manager. When the salesperson, we call them product specialists, not salespeople. Um, but when the product specialist greets uh, the customer, uh, oftentimes they're asked, they're, the customer's already asking for the team lead. If they're not asking for the team lead, if it wasn't a BDC appointment, the BDC, the, the salesperson's going to get a team leader right away. Uh, they're going to ideally get their team leader, but if they're not available, they're going to get another team leader, and that team leader is going to work the deal. So that team leader is going to be involved in the selection process. Mm -hmm. We do a modified card-owned sales process. So the team leader is going to be involved in early. Each team leader has about five product specialists that work for them, and they're responsible for cultivating them, helping them, but the product specialists do not close deals. They go over the vehicle. They go on the test drive. They do all the paperwork, and they make sure that the customer experience is is, is solid. But they do not they do not close deals. So we're hiring. So that's part of the secret sauce right there. We're hiring people, and we can create a good culture. Culture is a buzzword, so I don't want to use it too much. Um, but we're hiring people. And we're not paying them the way traditional salespeople would be paid. We're paying them on volume. But from where we're hiring them at, they're elevating their lives nonetheless. Um, and they have the opportunity someday to learn to close their own deals and become a team lead. Um, but because I'm saving in comps there, 
um, because I have one team lead for five salespeople. The team lead is really the sales, the, the, the closer. He's, he's presenting all the numbers in the deal. I can then take the comps that we're saving and reinvest that instead of putting it right to the bottom line. We then reinvest that in advertising. So our advertising, um, when you look at it, each manufacturer has their guide. Uh, my comps are, we're extremely below guide. Uh, net profit, I, uh, we spend a lot of money on, on advertising to drive traffic to Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, because it's not the most urban area. Right. But just our system is allowing us to reinvest that money into advertising. And then my product specialists are happy because they're always busy. Uh, but the team lead, then when the salesperson comes back from the test drive, the team lead who already controlled selection is then going over all the figures. The desk manager uh, is going to actually appraise the car. They're going to call in the deal to the bank. They're going to give them the numbers. Not that the team lead is not capable or uh, are qualified to do that. We separate those two things uh, because I feel the person presenting the numbers uh, shouldn't be tainted by the uh, uh, shouldn't be tainted by the deal. They then present the numbers and close the deal. Uh, once the deal is closed, we then call the the desk managers call the deal into the bank. The the uh, the team lead actually pitches all the F and I product right after that. So we do it about five minutes after uh, about five minutes after the deals consummated, we're, we're back in there. Uh, and it's more of a simple, Hey, would you like fries with that? It, it, it's, it, it, it's a more casual cause they already have rapport with the customer. So we're, um, but then our high F and I levels then allow us again to, uh, to price our cars aggressively and, and everything else. But the team lead then, so they're serving as half of the F and I manager and the desk manager serving as the other half. So we don't use traditional F&I managers. Um, one thing I've never understood about the car business is we'll take somebody that's a great closer and we'll put them in the, uh, because F&I generates so much revenue, we'll put them in that position and then give them 90% of what they do is clerical, uh, which if you personality test them, they're awful at clerical. The office, <laughs> the office is mad, right? Uh, the office is, is upset. Why is that person there? Um, but we put them there because they close, but then 90% of what they do is not closing. So, so instead what we've done is we use, uh, administrators that are paperwork oriented and we bonus them based off of the CIT list and the problem list. So everything's running nice and clean. They actually print the paperwork. So my managers are not, are not getting bogged down in printing paperwork and it makes it a very scalable operation. There, there's part of me that's like, well, gee, Mike, what a novel idea. Focus people on their strengths, minimize weaknesses and or roles that don't. You know, this reminds me of our good friend, Tracy Myers, um, who, you know, when we were going to those masterminds, um, he would talk a lot about, for lack of better words, he would talk about don't have non-minimum wage people doing minimum wage jobs. And he wasn't saying it in like a demeaning way. What the point he was really trying to get across is so often, you know, say your desk manager, your mobile manager has to then get bogged down printing things off and, you know, doing like all of these things that shouldn't be their primary focus. And so here you are tactically 
It's the best word I can think of. Tactif- tactically putting the pieces together and the summation of which is what you just concluded saying, which is a really scalable ecosystem. Correct. And that's and the it's funny that- you mentioned Tracy, because I, I did repurpose a lot of what I've learned from Tracy. So, well, it, it's, you know, I, I think this is one of the reasons why I've produced this show now for 10 years is like just the hope that we can amplify the message of people who have gone before done the thing, been successful at the thing. And instead of trying to forge our own path to, to just simply open up the recipe book, the the playbook, if you will, and say, boom, there you go. And so I love that here you are a great leader because, and you know, and I'm not blowing smoke. It takes a great leader to, to pull this off and implement it. So kudos to you for that. But that you're also approach leadership with the heart of a student. Hey, I heard that there. So we figured it out and incorporated it. I learned that from so-and-so. So I took that and I implemented it. And I just think that's so crucial to, to achieving success. But I'd love to get your take on that. Like, how important is it to you and, and your team? Like, how do you keep everyone motivated to continue learning despite what it sounds like having kind of figured the whole thing out? Yeah, so, so that's that's a good question. I, I think one of the things with my team is, and I know this is going to sound cliche, but they will become what you are, right? So um, John Maxwell talks about the law of the lid uh, in, his, uh, in his laws of leadership. I think it's 21 irrefutable laws right. of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about the law of the lid. So in any aspect of the dealership, I need to be the highest lid because if I'm the highest lid, they're going to start to become at least in his book. He talks about 80%, uh, 80%. Per, if, if, if I'm a 10 in an area, they're going to be an eight. If I'm at an eight, they're only going to be a six. So I better keep trying to raise my lid to raise the other people. So in the last year, um, I've attended a lot of seminars. You know, I had a personal goal of attending 10 automotive seminars uh, this this year. Uh, The goal was eight last year. And the goal was to read 63 books this year, uh, which which I'm almost done. I don't brag about it to my team or anything, but I do talk about it every now and then because I'm a transparent guy. So they hear things like that. Oh, Mike just read this book. Uh, Mike attended this seminar. Hey, Mike took such and such to a seminar with them. So it becomes the, the... Learning becomes just a thing that we do, uh, and we're we're always trying to uh, to 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 find new ideas because it is a market that that it, that is changing. And you know, we've been talking about it in our meetings for for a good year about you know as the market change, what our strategy is going to be going into COVID and coming out of COVID, coming into the inventory shortage. And coming out of the inventory shortage, um, so where we've been learning and implementing things long be long before that, and we've made sales contests out of going to uh, out of uh, out of attending different things. Uh, you know, some of the managers went to Grants GroveCon this year. We just created learning's a thing. It's a, you know, culture's cliche word, but it, it just becomes part of the thing because I've made it important to me. So then. 
you know, it starts becoming important to everybody. There's two things I want to highlight here that stand out to me. The first one is, did you say 68 books? 63. 63 books. Yeah, it's a little Uh, over one a week. Okay, but most doctors won't read 63 books (laughs) in the eight years they're in medical school. Yeah, I absolutely hate reading books too. <laughs> that was going to be my follow up. Do I was going to ask? Do you like? Do you enjoy reading? And and so the answer is now we know the answer is no. How the balls do you make it through sixty three books as someone who doesn't enjoy reading? So it, it's really just making it a, a discipline. Um, I got mentoring this year. It paid a lot of money to get mentoring from Brandon Dawson. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, up at Cordon Ventures. And I've just noticed he's somebody I'm trying to emulate from a leadership standpoint. When I was running one store, it was totally different than running two stores. So I realized I had to learn how to, how to, how to manage through other people better. So I sought him out and took him as a, uh, he, he took, he's my mentor. And I've been going to a lot of his stuff, Zoom calls with them. And Mm -hmm. one thing I learned is he keeps talking about all these books he read, Robert Anthony, uh, Beyond Positive Thinking, all the John Maxwell books, uh, Jim Collins' uh, book on uh, Greatness by Choice, which talks about what we're in, uh, businesses that are doing well in in bad economic times. So it was out of necessity and not a necessity for me, but for my team, if you know, we have roughly about counting dealer drivers between the two stores, 172 employees. Um, if I'm going to be leading them in a direction in a precarious market, I need to be studying. Um, and then if I do that, well, my team starts to, to do that as well. Okay. The side side question to that is, can you send me the list of the books that you've read this year, these 63 books so that yep. we can, we can share those with the audience, those that are listening in. Um, the second thing that stood out to me that I just want to underscore here, you, you provided the perfect segue to in, in mentioning that you have mentoring by uh, Brandon Dawson. Um, and it is this. I find the one of the single most toxic traits that anyone who is pursuing success can have is that they don't pick a methodology to follow. They, they, they go to that conference and follow that guy for a while. Then they go to that thing and they follow that guy. Oh, but then they watch the webinar and that guy's got a conflicting thing. And it gives us the perception of movement because we feel accomplished in attending the thing, but we didn't just pick the methodology to follow. So you've mentioned it two or three times now. We have an adopted version of Cardone sales that we employ. You know, I'm with Brendan Dawson. He's got a, you know, his, you picked a methodology. How important is it in your opinion to pick a path and then just stick with it? And how do you identify how long you need to stick with something before you realize it's maybe the thing or it's not the thing? Well, I think it really comes down to, you know, who you're following those who oftentimes there's a lot of teachers out there that can't actually do. So I want to look for somebody with a track record, but if, if we look at a, if somebody has a track record, 
and I decide, hey, they did it, okay, and they're not necessarily smarter than me or more intelligent than me or have the the intangibles. It's their actions that they're doing every day that's causing them to have what what I want to have. Then I just need to follow those actions. So right. we do this on a micro level in our company when we hire product specialists because we hire them from outside automotive almost every time. The first thing we do is we have a uh, a group interviewing class after they're already screened where they, they learn a little bit about our core values. But that morning when they show up for that that class, it's offsite at a hotel, in a hotel meeting room. Um, I have salespeople there that have made it in our company that have done well, that make good incomes. Um, there's nothing special. And I'll point out, these people in the room, there's nothing special about them, but it's their actions and choices. So we set that stage for, for those, for our people as well. Hey, pick somebody that's doing it and let's emulate what they're doing it and let's break it down to their choices and decisions and what they're, and what they're doing every day. So back to your question, you know, how long does it take? Really? You just can't get in your own way. If it's working, you know, so many people will will alter a recipe and change the recipe and then be upset at the chef that it didn't didn't work. If that recipe is working for them. Now, I've sought mentors both in automotive and non-automotive uh, because I think there is something that the and uh, your show does that as well. I think sometimes bringing people from outside automotive like a Brandon Dawson, I think, really shed some light into the automotive space. But you got to just find it and then commit to it. If it's working for them, then it can be done. So it's just you're not following the recipe if it's not working. I love it. Um, my team and I were talking about this, you know, as we're diving into some new initiatives. And I'm like, guys, we we have more than enough training. What we need to do is pick the th- the the what we're going to follow. Um, and to your point, it provides us something to cross reference against. Yeah. You know, if we if you're following Cardone and that guy over there is following, you know, whoever and, you know, there's 10 different things, then all you're going to do is debate. Oh, well, we should do this. We should do it that way because he said it. But I love how you say no, like they have a track record. We're going to follow it. And then we have a cross reference point. If something's not going in a similar direction, we can at least go to the source and say, hey, we're doing all these things where we messing up. Or what are we missing, right? No, no, I agreed. So our team on, on a micro level at our store, we've done that over the past year. Um, I've been working with the Chevy store a little longer and the Dodge store, we're emulating that. So we're looking at what they're doing, not saying if we hired somebody from outside, not saying there's not different ways to skin a cat, but this is the way we're going to skin the cat. Right. And um you know, we bring everything back to our mission statement and our, our stables that 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 everybody signs. If we bring a manager in from outside, they, they read our mission statement. They read our sales process. They read our our stable datums all before we actually uh, all before they actually come on board. Dude, I love it. I'm I'm so glad that you were able to to invest some time with us today. And, and likewise, I've got all these notes that I'm excited to share with my team and with other dealers in the DPB audience. So 
Thanks for joining me. How can those listening get in touch or connect with you? Yeah. So, uh, so my cell phone number, uh, I'll, I'll take text, uh, 717-253-7168. They can also, uh, find me on Facebook. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but I'll be happy to answer anybody's questions of, of what we do and how we're doing it. So I've, I also find this funny because I was always intrigued by my American contemporaries who just so freely give out their cell phone number. Because in Canada, it's like, dude, I ain't giving you, I ain't giving you my real cell phone number. Like, no way. And it's because we don't want calls from numbers we don't recognize. Now, being in Dallas, what I've realized is that it doesn't matter because my phone number has been sold so many times that all I get is phone num- phone calls from numbers I don't recognize. <laughs> I love it, man. Thanks so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Thank you. I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. Thanks for listening.